Great question. So we'll take a moment and consider that question and more significantly why that question matters uh, to us today. So please take a moment, let's pray together. Father, thanks that we can gather here listening for your voice within these walls and our desire as we uh, gather in these moments is that we would taste your glory, see your glory, be filled with your glory in order, Father, that uh, we might live into the calling and destiny you have for each of us and for us as a community. But also, Father, so that those uh, who are living in a world of suffering and darkness and addiction and anxiety and shame would find in us and in our life together, Father, that source of hope, the headwaters that is Christ. So shape us, Father, toward that end, and may your, may your Holy Spirit now teach us in these moments, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So what we'd like to do this morning is talk a little bit about glory and uh, show you the significance of the glory of God as it, as it pertains to the gospel. But we begin by considering together just this notion of glory, and one of the realities, if you look at history, is that the glory of nothing remains. Uh, Everybody in their own lives have kind of a trajectory of glory. You're up, and then you're down, right? And so if if you're a basketball fan, and you're old like me, you go back, oh yeah, you remember Bill Russell, and then Bill Russell gave way to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and then Kareem gave way to Michael Jordan, gave way to Kobe Bryant, gave way to Shaquille O'Neal, gave way to Steph Curry. There's always somebody at the top, but they're not at the top forever. Does this make sense? The glory kind of fades away. Uh, Steve Jobs gives way to Tim Cook. Someday Tim Cook gives way to somebody else with Apple. Um, Musicians come and go. I mentioned... the Dave Matthew Band, the Dave Matthews Band, which some of us in the in the room know because we're older. <laughs> but I mentioned it to some uh, university students uh, when I was teaching in Austria, and they were like, "This, oh, we have no idea who you're talking about. Who's that guy?" You know. And so that glory is gone, like that train has left. Athletes come and go, musicians come and go, civilizations come and go. Your net worth comes and goes. You climb the financial ladder, then you fall. But in the gospel. There's a glory that is offered you that never fades away. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 to 18 says that when we look at God, we are being continually transformed from glory to glory to glory to glory. And this is kind of a present active indicative, which means it's an ongoing thing. There's a glory that God desires would be not only in you, but shine through you that is not dependent on your sports ability or your physical health or your musical ability or your net worth. It's you uniquely displaying the character of God with greater and greater and greater clarity as you grow older so that the last day of your life is the best day of your life. Wouldn't that be awesome? So that at the very end of your life, you love God more. You love people more. You're more generous. You're wiser. You have more joy. You have more peace. This is God's desire. You see it sometimes in in, uh, unique individuals. At the very end of life, they're this kind of paragon of what it means to walk faithfully with God for not just days, but decades to a lifetime, right? Mother Teresa at the end of her life, still in love with God, still serving. Major Thomas, my mentor, still in love with God, still serving at, the, at 93. Stuart Briscoe, with, uh, with whom I spoke a couple of summers ago at a, at a camp down in California, he's in his 80s. We finished our camp. He was going to speak at another camp in Michigan, and then he was off to Africa to equip pastors at the age of 86, I like I just want to be I want to keep going and be a vessel of God's glory 
all of my days. I hope you want that. And it's a desire that we as Bethany would allow God's glory to be seen with increasing clarity every day, more and more of that glory. So that's our desire. But when we come to the book of Ezekiel, we see that God's glory is not, uh, again, to use a basketball analogy, a layup. It's not automatic, right? Uh, we, we have access to it, but the glory can get lost in a sense. And it certainly did in the time of Ezekiel. And we can learn from that by kind of asking three important questions that will help us swim upstream against kind of the prevailing model. And the prevailing model often is this. People begin, you know, on fire for God. And then as the days turn into months, turn into decades, that, that fire seems to kind of dissipate so that we find people in the book of Revelation who are accused of having left their first love or their hearts have grown cold or they're lukewarm. Yeah, we love God. Yeah, we come to church. But the, like the glory is gone, right? So this is what we're going to talk about here by asking three questions. The first question is this, why does this glory thing matter? Like, how does God's glory matter to you? And it's a pretty important question, I think, because God's glory isn't just some esoteric theological concept. Psalm 19 says that uh, creation is declaring God's glory. So uh, if you wonder, like, what is God's first book? The first book is in the Bible. Before the Bible was ever written, creation is kind of displaying God's glory through the stars and the, the moon and the seasons and the, and the water cycle, the hydration cycle of clouds giving rain, giving, giving water, giving life to the earth. I mean, it's just incredible how God has created what Colossians 1.19 says, all of creation is held together by Christ. And so we, every, every breath that we breathe, we thank God, but that breath comes because of the trees and because of the plants, right? And every, every glass of water... All of these things are gifts that God has provided. So God's glory is present in creation. God's glory is also present in the text, of course, right? We see that in the text, also in Psalm 19. The law of God is glorious, all those things. But this is significant. The third place where you can discover God's glory is in humanity. It says in Psalm 8 that humans are made just a little bit less than the angels. And then here's the phrase. You, think about your own life. You are crowned with glory and honor. Your crown, I mean, God has, God's desire is that you would shine as light so that as an imager of God, the character of God would be seen through you. Justice, mercy, generosity, peace, care for the least of these, solidarity of the poor, capacity to cross social divides, care for the, the outcast, the widow, the orphan, care for creation. Why? Because that's, what, that's who God is. That's God's character. And since you're, God, since you're made in God's image and God is glorious, now you, as an imager, are called to look like God. And when you look like God, when those qualities are present in your life, <clears throat> that's the glory of God. So when you come to the New Testament, uh, we're told that we, as humans, are God's temple and that the glory of God is intended to reside in the temple, and that's us, right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. So then I go, okay, yeah, God's glory intended to, to reside in me, but what does it mean to be a container filled with the glory of Christ? Like, uh, like what does that look like? And remember what Jesus said in John 7? He said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So this is you. This is you, and you're thirsty. 
Now, if you're thirsty, the headwaters of all joy, all peace, all mercy, all freedom from addictive behavior, the capacity to love yourself, love others, the capacity to live a life of celebration and justice, all of that resides here, right? And here's Jesus. If you're thirsty, right, and I am, the cup is basically empty. If you're thirsty, what does Jesus say? Come to me and drink. So I come to Christ, I receive from Christ, I partake of Christ. It's very good. And then what Jesus says in John 7 is as you, as you partake of me, I won't just give you enough water, you will become a river of living water. So this, this water that you're drinking will so work in you that you now become a source of that life so that you're displaying that life to a very thirsty world. That's God's design, right? So, so for you to be a container filled with the glory of Christ means that the life-giving force that is Christ, the headwaters of generosity and justice and healing and mercy and all that stuff, the headwaters are Christ. You've come to Christ so that now the very source of the life that is all of creation, the very glory of God now resides in you. And your calling is to display that glory, we're told this in the Bible, with increasing clarity for the rest of our lives. It says in Colossians, excuse me, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verses 16 to 18, our calling is to, is to be this, this river and the water just gets clearer and clearer and clearer as we grow older. Does that make sense? From glory to glory to glory. A couple of things then. First of all, if your water isn't exactly clear today, don't panic because we all have room to grow, right? So it's okay. But also, don't settle because God's desire is that you would show and display more of God's glory tomorrow than today and more on Tuesday than Monday. So we're continuing to grow from glory to glory to glory. That's, that's the vision, right? And that's what Jesus says in John 7. Hey, if you're thirsty, come drink. And a river of living water, boom, will burst forth from you so that through you, people will find nothing less than the life of Christ, right? But here, now this is very significant. <clears throat> if the glory of God is not what people are seeing and receiving through us and through our life together, that's a problem. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, if people driving by right now perceive the church as filled with hate or dismissive of the poor, or of immigrants, or complacent about racism and sexism, or complacent about the environment, or complacent about any people group that are marginalized, if, if people driving by view us as, as joyless, heartless, defensive, argumentative, something's wrong. That's a loss of glory. And so when we don't love Jesus lavishly in worship, like if I'm not coming to the headwaters on a consistent basis, if I'm not loving Jesus lavishly in worship, uh, uh, then I become complacent in my relationship with God. When that happens, I'm no longer receiving on this ongoing basis the glory of God. And when I'm not receiving the glory of God, I can't display the glory of God. I have to continue to receive it, to display it, because my life is intended, John 7, to be a river. And so continually you want the river to be receiving. We live up in the mountains, and uh, this, as many of you know, has been a particularly rough snow year for the Cascades. So we're down like at 30% of average or something like that. There's a stream on the back of our property that normally at this time of year is full raging. It's just running, you know. And this year, no. 
It looks right now like August. So that we think in August, it's not going to look like anything but a bed of dry rocks. Why? The source is drying up, do you see? Now, in our situation, when we spiritualize that illustration, the problem isn't the source ever. The source is there. But the problem is, are we, are we continuing to come to the source and receive from the source? And this is, so this is, the, this is what's at stake with the glory of God. You're made to display nothing less than the life of God. That's your calling. And if you miss that calling, it doesn't matter how rich you are, how famous you are, how powerful you are, how many pleasures you enjoy in life, if you miss the, the reason that God created you, uh, then you will never be satisfied. That's the book of Ecclesiastes in the nutshell. So that's it. That's why the glory matters. Then we go to Ezekiel and we go, man, what happened to the glory? And the deal is, the glory in the Old Testament was um, represented physically in this ball of light, basically, right? And the glory, the glory of God, actually, if you, know that, if you know temple architecture, you know that there was a, Israel had the temple, and in the temple you had an outer courtyard and an inner courtyard, and then you had the, the, the temple, and you had the holy place, and then you had the holy of holies, and on the, in the holy of holies there was a box, a little bigger than this, maybe twice as long or so, there's a box, and that box was called, does anyone know, the Ark of the Covenant. So, like, it, uh, if, you, if you don't know your Bible history, at least you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Have you seen that? So if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, then you know, oh, yeah, there was this box, and the Nazis wanted it in the movie, not in the Bible, but in the movie. The Nazis wanted the, the, Nazis wanted the Ark because they thought, man, if we got the Ark, we got God, basically. Remember that? And then it was like, wait a minute, no, you can't open the box because... How do we know? Well, we know from the Old Testament that the glory of God resides basically in and on the box. So if you open the box, you can't look at God's glory and live, Exodus 32. And of course you know, if you watch a movie, <clears throat> and then his face melts, right? <laughs> so I mean, uh, the glory is with a box. But here's the thing. Uh, what happens in Ezekiel is the, the box is in the Holy of Holies in the holy place in the temple. And though all that stuff remains, the box, the holy place, the Holy of Holies, the temple, though it all remains, the glory of God leaves. Watch. Here's what happens. And so a dismayed Ezekiel, he begins to perform his task. And after about a year, he has another vision. This one is about the temple. He goes on this virtual tour of the temple, and he sees what's happening there in his absence, and it is not good. In the outer courtyard in front of the temple, he sees this large idol statue. And then he sees the elders of Israel worshiping other gods, both outside and inside the temple. And then he sees the women of Israel. They're worshiping a Babylonian god named Tammuz. And the vision ends with God's glorious throne chariot moving up and away from the temple. It's leaving, going east, headed towards Babylon. So that's what happens in chapters 8 through 11. And Israel's kind of asking the question, man, why is God so mad at us? What's going on? Why is, why is God after us? Seems to be after us. I mean, like the, the, already there's been a wave of people taken captive to Babylon. And now uh, uh, Ezekiel is, is kind of foretelling ultimately the destruction of the temple. And Israel's like this, what's up? Well, like, why is God mad? We're, come on, we're worshiping. We're in the temple. We're singing. Richard's preaching. We took an offering. We commissioned some Stephen ministers. 
Like, what do you want from us, God? Like, why? Like, how come if we do everything right, God's mad at us? That's the question, right? And so in chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, there's this vision, right? Uh, God uh, takes me by a lock of my head, and the Spirit lifts me up between earth and heaven. So now we move from Raiders of the Lost Ark to uh, uh, a Christmas uh, tale with Dickens. What's that thing called? Christmas Carol, yeah, that's it, yeah. Christmas Carol, where the angel from the Christmas past, remember, takes, hey, just touch my robe. Off they go. That's here, right? So Ezekiel now is in Babylon, but in a vision, he goes back to Jerusalem. And what does he see? Well, he goes in the sanctuary, and he sees that, yeah, people are here worshiping, but people are bringing their idols into the sanctuary as well, actually. And so there's stuff kind of carved into the walls, different... Uh, animals, and people are bowing down and worshiping there. And as we saw in the cartoon, there's some people outside, and they're worshiping outside, and people are worshiping the sun, and people are worshiping nature, and people are worshiping other things, but people, people are, there's a mixture. Yeah, we're here. Yeah, the, we're worshiping, but we're worshiping not only God, we're worshiping other things as well. And so Ezekiel 8, 6 is where God says, look, abominations are driving me from my sanctuary. And so in chapter 9, verse 3, the glory which resides on the Ark of the Covenant, physically resides on the Ark, the glory gets up. It kind of goes from the box up to the ceiling in chapter uh, 9, verse 3, and then it goes out, so it leaves kind of here up on the stage, and it starts heading out. Imagine, it comes up, it goes out, it goes out in the foyer, right? The glory goes out of the foyer. Then the glory goes to the edge of the property down there at, uh, at 80th and Green Lake Drive where our sign is, you know. And then the glory just heads away to Canada. Boom, gone, right? That's this text. I mean, the glory leaves. And what's stunning about the glory leaving, A, it's sad that it left, but what's stunning is nobody notices that it's leaving. People continue to do what they've always done Every, in their case, Saturday, but right there, they're there, they're worshiping, they're reading, they're praying, they have a few idols, but they're still doing, quote-unquote, all the forms that lead them to believe that God is with them when God has already left. And that's crazy. So, so here's what happens in the Old Testament that we can learn from. Super significant. Has to do with our own worship and our own spiritual lives. Remember, the glory was located on the Ark of the Covenant. And, and, and so uh, in the, before the temple, the Ark w- was carried around as Israel wandered through the wilderness, and there was a kind of a mobile worship center called a tabernacle. So before Israel had land and built a temple, they had a mobile temple called a tabernacle. And the glory of God, uh, when they'd set up this tabernacle, you can read it in uh, Exodus 39, when they'd set up the, the tabernacle, the glory would come and land there. You can kind of see it happening, right? The glory, so the, and then the glory leads them. When the glory leaves and wants to lead them to the wilderness, they always follow this cloud of glory. So that's that. So, but the glory lived, if, if the glory had a mailing address, it was the box, the Ark of the Covenant. That, that's where the glory lived. So what, so what happened over time with Israel is so deadly that we need to be aware of as a community is uh, the, the, the box is where the glory of God resides, but you're never, ever, ever throughout the entire Old Testament told to trust in the box 
you're told to trust in the Lord, right? But what happens is over time, Israel begins to equate the presence of the box with the presence of the Lord. Does that make sense? Because that's where God lives. So if, the, if we have the box, all is well. And this reaches ahead in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel 4, where this amazing story, uh, Israel is involved in, a, in the ages of 1 Samuel, uh, involved again in idolatry. And so uh, the Philistine army attacks Israel, and Israel is defeated in battle. And this is kind of new for them. And so they put their heads together, and they go, why do we lose? What happened to us? What's wrong with us? Come on, we're God's people, Right? Uh, look, we, wor- we worship, we got the tabernacle, we got the, bo- we got the box, you know, we got the priests, we got the incense, we got the offerings. How come God's not, how come God, why do we lose? And then they came to this conclusion. First Samuel 4, I'm paraphrasing for time, but you read it. Oh, I know why we lost. We didn't take the ark into battle with us. And then you read it. First Samuel 4, come Let's take the ark into battle with us, listen, that it may deliver us. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is fatal. Uh, Because what are they saying? They're saying as long as we have the box, boom, victory, glory. They equate the form of worship with the glory of God. This is deadly, right? Because what happened here is that Israel confused worshiping in the right location with having the right heart because when you, when, what, when you go to that Samuel story, they, they take the box into battle and it, when they bring the box, before they go into battle, uh, you can kind of picture a scene now, third movie, from Braveheart, kind of picture, you know, everybody's ready, you know, to go to battle and now, you know, a couple guys come along and they're carrying the box and then William Wallace says, that's it, man, we're going to win. You know, they'll never take away our freedom. Boom, let's go. We're going to win. Why? We have the box. They go out on a battle. What happens? They're defeated worse the second time than the first, and the Philistines capture the box. And they come home, and they go, wait, what happened? Why did we lose? Later in this story, the thinking was, not the box necessarily, but the temple itself will be our security. I mean, the Babylonians are amassing, right? They've already swept down from the north. By the time you read this, they've already swept down from the north. And so the, the, the remaining Jews that are in Jerusalem are like, what are we going to do? Here come the Babylonians. Well, I know what we'll do. This is the false prophets. They say, go gather in the temple because that's where God lives. And if you're in the temple, boom, you're safe. Jeremiah 7, verse 4. Jeremiah, the other contemporary of Ezekiel, he comes along, he says to Israel, quit saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. You're trusting in deceptive words. You think that because you're in the right place, the glory of God is with you? You you think because you have the box, the glory of God is with you? No. Israel confuses worshiping in the right location with having the right heart. They confuse uh, having the right form with having the right heart. And they'd come to think that there was something magical about the temple, something magical about the ark. As long as we continue to gather there, do the right things, sing the right music, all is well. So that what happens is we become obsessed about form. I'm going to tell you, this is deadly. Because form becomes, for Israel, the criteria for health and the source of debates. Like, are we really 
do it for him right enough. I'd argue nothing's changed. We are, churches today argue about form more than anything else. We're like this. If we have the right music, the glory of God will be here. So make sure we have the right music. If we have the right lighting, the glory of God will be here. Or maybe you're more spiritual. If we, have the, if we do our rule of life, the glory of God will be here. If we do the right things, whatever those things happen to be in our denomination, the glory of God will show up. If I have a good devotional life, if I tithe, if I have the right view of the atonement. And so the result of this is that we fret about forms of faith and church life, thinking if we get the music right, we get the coffee right, we get the media right, we get our doctrines all lined up perfectly, then we'll have the glory. Yeah, yeah, oh, I know why church isn't growing. We don't use shade-grown coffee. Like if we had shade-grown coffee, then everyone would know, you know, we're environmentally, you know, sensitive and we do the thing. Oh, no, we have shade-grown coffee, but we don't have espresso machines. All we have are these little pump things. What's wrong with us? Get, get, let's get our act together, right? We need some espresso and some foam and some milk, and the milk has to be, you know, shade-grown milk with organic cows and all that stuff. And if we, like... And is the music right? Is, is it Hillsong or is it too many hymns or is it not enough? And where are the drums today? And some of you are saying, thank God they're gone. And others you are saying, what's happened? Have we gone traditional? Stop. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. The glory didn't depart from Israel because the singing was bad or too loud or too Hillsong or too traditional or because everyone wasn't living perfectly, or because they used the word inspired rather than er inerrant in their doctrinal statement. The glory didn't leave because the form was wrong. The glory left because the heart was wrong. Are you with me? So, the, the, like, the glory is present or absent, not depending on what, what goes on up here. It's all about you, friends, and your heart. That's the kind of the bottom line. So that when the, when the Philistines capture the ark... Then Israel goes to Samuel and they go, what do we do now? We lost our source of hope. What does Samuel say? First Samuel 4. Look, this is what you got to do. Return to the Lord with all your heart. Samuel's remedy was not sing louder or do your worship right or get better coffee. He says, look, between you and the Lord, like start drinking here from the source, Right? Return to the Lord. And you're, because why? Because you haven't been drinking from the source. So what makes worship real, what makes Bethany healthy, is that we have everything lined up perfectly. Because here's the deal, we don't. Oh, and by the way, we never will. Right? Because what we're promised in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 16 to 18, is that there's a trajectory from glory to glory to glory to glory. So we have to, the question isn't do we have it all lined up? The question is are we moving in the right direction? And the way that we know that we're moving in the right direction is if we're continuing to drink from the source. Like, am I receiving every day uh, actively and acknowledging that the glory of God is, is uh, imparting life to me? Am I receiving the glory of God through creation, through text, through community, through fellowship? Am I receiving? That's, that's really the question. And when a church is receiving the glory of God through text, through creation, through community, it's a healthy church, regardless of the form. And I've traveled enough and spoken enough places to tell you that there are forms I like and there are forms I don't like, but the form has nothing to do with whether the glory of God is there. So the best worship I've been in 
is also some of the worst worship, if you understand what I mean by that. I'll give you a couple examples. This, I was at a church in Rwanda that was just unbelievably powerful and beautiful. The kids during the offering are up dancing, and they dance in a way that none of you can. Incredible dancing during the offering. Little kid, eight years old, and he just grabs me, and he pulls me out, and he, I've got to begin dancing you know, with him. And then there's a long, long sermon, and then there's a response. I mean, the response, I mean, there's people up here, and they're, and, they're, and they're weeping, and there's repentance, and there's reconciliation going on. And it's, it was, this all happened with the worst sound system I've ever experienced in my life. I mean, the, there was nothing even close. The, imagine one big kind of box speaker like this, one speaker, no subwoofer or anything like that, just a kind of a pretty cheap speaker. And if the capacity of the thing is 10, this thing was set to 15. In other words, everything's distorted. You can't really hear well out of it. And the, the, the guy's playing the piano that's running through there. And somebody's playing an electric guitar that's running through there. And I don't even know if there's two channels. And it was like, please, enough. And yet, God's there, right? Or as in India once, uh, in a, in a, in an, it was like an outreach, so we're in a village of 200, and 190 people, 190 Hindus show up to hear the gospel on Sunday afternoon. And our worship team that's leading this thing, there's a guy who was given a guitar, and it, but he doesn't know how to play it. But it doesn't matter, because he had a guitar. And so he, he's got an acoustic guitar, and he's, he's just strumming this thing and moving his fingers. It's it's. Totally unrelated to the singing that is going on, completely. There's no, there's no connection at all, right? And, 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 and it's hot, and there's bugs around, mosquitoes and stuff. And then this, a couple of people shared their testimonies. And at the end, this is India in the 90s. Uh, I don't know the rules now, but you couldn't give away Bibles. You could sell them. And so they were like this. We're gonna, we have Bibles here for everybody. If you want to learn about Jesus, um, we, we're selling for basically one penny. A Bible. So come, come forward if you want to buy a Bible. There were 190 people there, uh, and they sold 190 Bibles. Everybody bought a Bible. And then uh, uh, they said, and now, you know, okay, we've sold the Bibles. Anybody want to pray with us? And we're there for three more hours. People are praying, right? And at the end, we go home, back to the Bible school where I'm teaching, and uh, uh, the director of the Bible school says, I talked to the mayor. And he said, uh, people had spoken with him and said, well, now you've come and you've introduced us to Jesus, uh, but we don't have a church. So who's going who's gonna to go pastor this church? Listen, it's January, and we're in, this, we're in this cold building, and so they brought a barbecue in with briquettes into the building and lit it to heat, for heat. Now we're all dying right? Because this smoke is in here. And we all have, we all, if you picture, we all have kerchiefs on. We look like bandits, all wet cloths. And, uh, and, we're, and there's a little prayer meeting. And then t- two guys go, Bible school ends Friday. We'll go start a church. Man, what a pity that they didn't have a good guitar player. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, listen, we got to get over our obsession with outward stuff because it's not the outward stuff that determines the presence or absence of God's glory. It's not the outward stuff at all, right? So then you, get, then you have to ask the question, well, why did the glory depart? And, and this is the third question. There are three things, iniquity, decay, and idolatry. We're going to look at idolatry 
particularly next week. But for a moment here, we're just going to talk about iniquity and decay. In chapter 8, verse 17, he says, Look, the land is full of violence. Land is full of bloodshed. City full of violence. Chapter 11, verse 12. In other words, here's what's happened. God's intention was that you would drink from this, this water, the pure water of the living God, so that you'd, like you'd go to the headwaters, receive the glory. And you're, yes, you're still there. You're in the temple. Yeah. You give perfect lip service to God. And I'm not saying you, but this is the text, right? Yeah, okay, you're all, we're all here. We're worshiping. No problem. It's no problem. We're worshiping. Very good. Yeah, but the thing is, uh, they were worshiping. You saw the pictures. There were idols as well that they were worshiping. Tammuz, stuff carved into the walls over here. We're worshiping the sun. And so there's gods that are kind of uh, diffusing the clarity of your testimony. And so, you know, yeah, you're worshiping, but you're also worshiping uh, materialism and individualism and uh, consumerism, and uh, nationalism, and you kind of have this religious pride about you, like, you know, we're God's chosen ones, and so, you know, we're right, and everybody else is wrong, and you're not crossing social divides anymore, and the land is filled with blood, and the land is filled with, with violence, and this is V8, Coke, and grape juice at room temperature. Who's thirsty? <laughs> no one. That's the text. Oh, yeah, 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 sure, you're still drinking, look, we're still drinking, but it's no good. That's what God is saying. It's no good because Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, God's desire is the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And to the extent that I'm continuing to come to Christ and turning from idols, then my story becomes this, from glory to glory to glory. But to the extent that I don't, I miss it. And, and that's, that's this text. So that uh, my life then, yes, I'm worshiping, but it's characterized by iniquity as well. And by iniquity, we could mean anything from my uh, racial prejudice to my private addiction to pornography to my private addiction to alcohol to my private addiction to shopping that leads to credit card debt to, to the fact that I hate my body or I'm unreconciled with my parents or I'm having an affair. It could be anything. But I'm worshiping. And I wonder why it isn't working. I'll tell you why it isn't working. Because you can't worship two gods. That's what God says. So iniquity causes the departure of the glory. And decay causes the departure of the glory. Chapter 5, verses 5 through 8, God says, Look, I've called you to be light, like this pure water, but instead you're, it's actually now you're darker than the nations. How does this apply? Well, you know, when I tell people today, my quote-unquote pagan friends, when I tell people Jesus is about justice and mercy and crossing social divides and generously sharing resources with people on margins and loving enemies and resettling refugees and caring for the earth and creating beautiful art and beautiful meals and caring for children and caring for people with special needs, when I say this, uh, people go, really? That's not the Christianity I know. Because to be blunt, our reputation as evangelicals is, is not that at all right now. We're viewed as angry, combative, and, and the, the, kind of this, this group of insiders that are trying to preserve a culture f- from days gone by rather than actively loving our world. That is not okay. That's this text, right? Because to the extent that I'm using God language and worshiping at the altar of consumerism and materialism and individualism and nationalism and carrying private addictions or private shame or private bitterness, 
There's, there's no way that this is glory. And then people who are thirsty drive by. Are you with me? So God's desire is that we would kind of fix this. And the, and the way that we fix this is always twofold. First of all, I have to turn away from all these false glories. My, any, any of my eyes, my individualism, my consumerism, my nationalism, uh, my, my, my pride, my private little sins, I gotta turn away from those. I have to. And then I have to begin to develop habits of looking for God's glory and receiving God's glory. Where do I look? Well, I look in creation. So maybe I turn my phone off and walk around Green Lake and pay attention to the brand new little Canadian geese. Or, or, or maybe I go on a kayak. Or maybe I get up and watch the sunrise at 4.08. <laughs> and then in community, I look, I look for God's glory. So that when I see people loving the least of these, when I see people crossing social divides, when I see people serving at a food bank, serving at a food bank, serving a community meal, serving at a homeless shelter, helping refugees resettle, people today ride their bikes to Spokane as part of our community to raise $160,000 for refugee resettlement. That's the glory of God. So I look and celebrate, and then I enter into that story. And of course, the glory of God is found in the text as well. I show up with my cup of coffee in the morning, read and receive. I got to sweep away the idols. I had to turn and receive the glory of God in text and creation community, and then this water is purified. And when this water is purified from glory to glory to glory, thirsty people turn to Christ. That's the vision of Bethany, really. And the, da- the risk we run, honestly, the risk we run is success. That's the risk we run. That we can say, hey, look, we're in the, the seats are full, pretty much, and it's June, we're in the black. What, what do we need? I'll tell you what we need. Glory to glory to glory. And that doesn't happen accidentally. It happens when you turn from your idols and turn toward Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you're faithful with us and patient with us and we're on a journey. But forgive us for equating form with reality and glory, equating attendance with glory, equating budget with glory, preaching with glory. Glory is receiving from you and responding to what you reveal. Glory is turning away from idols. Would you take us there this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. You know, and as we close, we got a couple songs, and my invitation to you, for the sake of the community and for testimony, is if God has spoken to you this morning about an idol that you need to turn away from or something like that, or a, a, a commitment you're making to receive God's glory in creation, in text, in community, if you want to testify of that in a prayer book here this morning, then we're all blessed by your testimony. Let's worship together.